this morning once again. Uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter number 4. We've been kind of hitting just some high notes throughout the book in each chapter. This morning we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Galatians 4 verses 1 through 11. When you find your place, if you're able, I'll ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Galatians chapter number 4. Verse number 1. And the word of God says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son... Than an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you again, thanking you for your word. And Father, we ask, Lord, that as your word has been read, we know that your word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, you have brought us here for a reason to hear this message. Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, those that are here might be comforted if they need that through your word. Maybe they might need to be convicted of sin that's in their life through your word. Father, if there's one here that is lost, I pray that today, Lord, before they leave this building, would be their day of salvation. Lord God, speak to our hearts. Let your son be lifted up. Give me the words to say. Lord, as I speak as a dying man to dying people, Lord, give me the words in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we've been looking and going through the book of Galatians, taking each chapter a week, we've seen really that this is a passionate plea to God's people through the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has uh, labored among the Galatians at one point in his missionary journeys. He he came and he preached the, the true unadulterated gospel to them. And as he preached the gospel to him, we, we, he saw many people saved. And this church was planted in uh, the area of Gaul. And as he uh, left, uh, some wolves in sheep's clothing came in. And these wolves, they came in and, and they started corrupting what Paul had preached to them. Paul had, had preached and he had labored among them. And, and they came in questioning the apostles' credentials. They came to him and they questioned not just his credentials, but the gospel which Paul preached himself. And as they questioned that, they 
led many of the Galatians astray, led them off into a form of legalism, saying that, yeah, Jesus is good, but there's other things that you must do to add to the work of Christ in order for you to merit salvation with God. Legalists, bringing them back under the law. And Paul has been writing and he has been pouring out his heart to them, uh, begging them to give up the law, to, to not listen to the legalists, not listen to the Judaizers, but to listen to the words that he had preached before them. He said, if me, he said, if me or an angel from heaven preach anything else than what you've heard the first time, he said, let them be accursed. That was the passion of Paul. And now we've got this church in the cities of Galatia being overrun and overtaken by people that would preach that you must obey certain aspects of the law in order to be saved. As we get into this portion of the book, this is what some might call the practical aspects. We've, gotten, we've seen the doctrinal things about the of concerning legalism and salvation by grace through faith. But now we get into chapter 4 and Paul begins to lay out the benefits of grace. Just a couple years ago, you all know mine and Anna's situation, whereas I was working uh, here at the church and working part-time for uh, Sharon Williams wasn't much to Sharon Williams. I'd work about uh, 20 or so hours a week and uh, do what I could for the church and then uh, making you know peanuts uh, with Sharon Williams. But then, by God's grace, we found out about a job opening with the school district. And you know what I found out when you went in with the school district? You got benefits. <laughs> so many wonderful benefits. I mean, I get to spend the, the summers uh, with my family. Uh, I get to uh, have different days off throughout the year that I can spend with my family. I, I get certain health benefits. And if you know me, you know that I have a lot of health issues. I'm a 100-year-old man in a 34-year-old's body is what Anna tells me. <laughs> so there were benefits. These things that the school district could offer me benefited me they they helped me out they they uh were things that i needed in my life to get me through life amen, amen. just as there were benefits with that job change there's benefits with going from the law to grace and as paul writes to the galatians he tells them what these benefits are so let's look and see what Paul writes to the Galatians. In these verses, we have two points. If you want to divide up your uh, outline for this, we're going to look at uh, Paul speaking about being under the law, verses 1 through 3. And then verses 4 through 11, we see about being under grace. And that's where we'll see the benefits. But first of all, he begins with the law in verses 1 through 3. And really, when he talks about the law, he, he speaks of being under the law and coming out of the law as a really a coming of age story. This coming of age story, he begins in verse number one. He says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. This is a coming of age. And uh, 
these times with the, the Jews, the Romans, and even the Greeks, they uh, had uh, certain ceremonies and certain things that would be done when a, a child would come of a certain age, and which they would be declared uh, not a child anymore, but they would be declared an adult. They were coming of age. The Jews, we know, as uh, they would, when a Jew, Jewish boy especially, would come of age at the age of 12 years old, they would have a uh, ceremony, rituals would be done, and this would be known as a bar mitzvah. And they would uh, do certain things, and it was at this bar mitzvah that uh, he would be coming out from the uh, rule of his father, and he would at this moment be declared a man. And at this time, he would be, uh, they would perhaps maybe start looking for him a, a wife and, and teach him certain aspects about trade and different things. The Romans as well had coming-of-age traditions. The Romans, when a child would come to a certain age, the Greeks, with the Greeks it was 18, I'm not sure what the age was for Romans, but when the Romans' uh, children would come of a certain age, they would uh, take their toys that they would uh, been brought up playing with and and they would uh, burn them and sacrifice uh, or an offering to the gods to the many gods they would offer these uh, toys that they played the Greeks the Greek boys especially would cut off their long hair and they would be offered to the Greek god Apollos this is what Paul references in 1 Corinthians 13 and Verse 11, when he says, when I became a, when I was a, became a man, I put away childish things. That was a reference to this. And so Paul, in writing, speaks of those that are under the law. He says, you were like these children that needed to come of age. He, he goes on and he, uh, he speaks, he says, but uh, he says these children were under tutors and governors uh, until the time appointed by the father. He says, even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. The tutors and the governors, they would uh, have rule over the children. Uh, what, what it was is, if you came from a family they would that had slaves, they would take these slaves and uh, their children would be, uh, these slaves would be appointed over their children. And the, it was these slaves' duty to uh, teach them to educate them, to uh, train them, to see after their welfare. They were kind of like babysitters, so to speak. And as Paul writes to him, he, he says that this is what you were like. You differed nothing from a slave. The children differed nothing from a slave. They had the tutors and they had the governors and these slaves had charge over the children. The children answer to the slaves. The slaves were, in a sense, the children's masters. But now all along, the, as the children answer to the slaves, the children would at the same time be heirs to the father's goods. They would be the inheritance. They would inherit what the father had. But at the moment that they're children, though, they're still under the tutelage of the slave masters. He says, that's what you were like. When you were in bondage to the law. You were a slave to the law. You were in bondage to them. He says we are similar to that. And that the unbelievers. He says even so when we were children. We're in bondage under the elements of the world. We as unbelievers were promised salvation in Christ. But yet we must come of age. So to speak. 
by faith in Jesus Christ. We were in bondage under the law. We, we went and did what the law told us to do. Why? Because we wanted to earn merit. We wanted to earn favor. We did whatever we were commanded to do in the law to earn favor with God. He says you were like children. You were being bossed around and you were being told what to do by the law. Until the time that we come of age, as I said, so to speak, in Christ, we are slaves to what Paul refers to in verse number 3 as the elements of the world. Say, what are the elements of the world? I believe the elements of the world that he references here would be what we would call human religion, human merit. The things that, that man believes they must do in order to inherit eternal life. The elemental things of the world. Look at verses 9 and 10 of our chapter. He says, after he speaks of all this, he says in verse number 9. He says, but now after ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? 10. Ye observe days and months and times and years. That was speaking of the Sabbaths, the different holidays, paying attention to the what day it was so they could perform the tasks of the law. He says you were in bondage under the religious things of the world. Folks, we're living in a day and age where they might not think it. They might not know it. But we live in a day and age where people are still in bondage trying to do what they can to merit salvation. Now, they might not look at it like that. They might just look at it as just being a good person. But what are they looking for? They, they don't pay attention to what's ahead. They don't pay attention to the, the, the eternity that is ahead of us. They look at the here and now and they say, well, I want to be a good person now. I want to be a good person now so that we can merit favor with man. And people can look at us and say, that is a good man or that is a good woman. And so they do these things to merit favor. And then you ask these people, where will you spend an eternity? And they'll respond, well, I'm a good person. I do this and I do that. I give to charities. I uh, I never talk ill of anybody. I take care of the, the widows and the poor. I, I do all these good deeds. But that's not my question. The question is, where will you spend an eternity? And on what basis do you deserve eternity? And once again, they say, well, I'm a good person. I do all these good deeds. Can I remind us that the Word of God... Listen... Man's standards is not what we go by. We go by the standard of the Word of God. And His Word says that our righteousness, our good deeds on our best day is as filthy rags before God. God said your righteousness is as filthy rags. And mankind expects to stand before God and be declared righteous and holy based on their own good works. 
These people are under tutelage and they're under the confines and in bondage to the law. They need to come of age and realize that the law merits them nothing. There are no benefits in being under the law. They must come under the sonship of God through Jesus Christ. They're working and they're trying to weigh out the good from the bad. Trying to achieve divine acceptance by human works. So Paul writes and he says, this is who you are under the law. And in a sense, he's saying that if you are trying to merit and be good enough to earn favor, you are being childish. To give you an example of this, I love my children more than anything else. Except my wife. I love her more than underneath her as the kids. That's the way it should be. That's biblical. I love my children. My children love me. They say they do. Constantly. <laughs> and you know, here's the funny thing. They don't always say it only when they want something. They, they, they tell me just to, just to let me know they love me. But here's, here's something I've noticed about children. They'll do something. Maybe make an A on a test. Maybe when they were playing sports, they might make a, a basketball goal or, or run into to home playing t-ball. And when they do these things, these good things, they would say, Daddy, did you see that? Yeah, buddy, I saw it. Are you proud of me? <laughs> yeah, buddy, I'm proud of you. They're always looking for acceptance from their father and their mother. That's the same with people that are trying to merit salvation. They're trying to look for, to do things to merit favor with God. And he likes it when we do certain things, but these things that we do will always bring us short of the glory of God. There's no benefits under the law. But when Paul writes to them, He's now going to begin explaining the benefits of being under grace. Look at our text in verses 4 through 11. He's going on and he's talking about being under the law, being under the, in bondage to the elements of the world. But now he's talking about what it means to be under grace. What it means to be under God's unmerited favor. He says, but... When the fullness of time was come. That speaks of uh, a completion of a period of preparation. You see, God was in no hurry to bring about the birth of his son Jesus. To bring about uh, the, uh, the cross. He was in no hurry. He was working everything out. Putting everything together to, to where everything could fit in place for the coming of his son. He was preparing the world for the coming of his son. And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. At the time of Christ's first coming, the timing was just right. It was right religiously. At the time in, in Israel, the Israel was not following after pagan gods. 
They weren't, they weren't uh, following Baal and Ashtaroth and all the gods that had led them astray in the Old Testament. They weren't following after them. They were, they were trying to adhere to legalism or to, the, to Judaism, which the Pharisees had corrupted and the Sadducees had corrupted uh, to make it a little more, uh, to make it more legalistic. But they were striving to worship the one true God. And so they were being faithful to Judaism. It was right religiously. I'm sorry, it was right culturally as well. Uh, they had a common language. As the, the Roman government took over, the, uh, they, they brought in the language of uh, Greek. and uh, Most of the known world spoke Greek at the time. So there was a common language that could uh, be used to bring forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then it was also right politically, Roman rule. Romans had done what they could to bring about peace. And so you could be really any religion in the Roman government and it not matter. They, they had peace there. And all the Romans, the Roman government built all these roads. That's one thing that, that old saying, all roads lead to Rome. You could go anywhere and they all really led to Rome, but they were great in building these roads. So the timing was just right. For the coming of his son. When the fullness of time was come. God sent forth his son. The world was ready for the coming of Christ. And he was made of a woman. Speaks of his humanity. We've seen his deity. As it says God sent forth his son. Meaning that God the Son was also in eternity with God the Father. And at the right time, God sent forth His Son from heaven down into the earth to be born of a woman. So that now we know Jesus Christ is fully God and He's fully man. Made under the woman, born under the law. Judaism, the restrictions of the law. And we see throughout the Gospels how Jesus Christ was perfectly obedient to the law that he was under. Even so much that he was the perfect sacrifice to be made to atone for the sins of the world. That's why it says in verse number 5, to redeem them that were under the law. That word to redeem means to buy back. And when he bought us back, it says that we might receive the adoption of sons. Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of mankind so that we could become the sons of God, John 1.12. For as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So one of the benefits of being under grace is you are a son or you are a daughter of God. You are a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? It means that as we have been adopted into the family of God, we are joint heirs now with Jesus Christ. We will rule and reign with Christ. We, will, uh, we are His and He is ours. Everything that the Father has given to Christ, we now share in those blessings. 
the benefits of grace is that we are sons of God. But not only that, the seal. It speaks of a seal that God has placed on us. In verse number 6, he says, And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This speaks of a confidence, the Spirit coming into our hearts. This morning, we can have confidence that we are children of God. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God living in our hearts. Do you have that, do you have that confidence this morning that you are a child of God? It says here plainly that if we have the Spirit of God within us, that He lets us know. The Spirit that is in us, if it is the Holy Spirit, cries out to the Father, Abba, Father. You say, what does Abba mean? That's an Aramaic term that would be the, the English equivalent of that word would be Daddy or Papa. It speaks of a, a childlike intimacy with the Father. In a formal sense... I'm Adam and I'm Melissa and I'm Levi's father. But, you know, they don't call me that. I know them a little too well. They know me a little too well. We share a special bond. When they come to me, they say, Daddy. Daddy. Because there's a special intimacy here. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit. And look look what it says. I, I was going over this this morning in my office. And, and it just struck me. He sent forth. Look. The spirit of his son into your hearts. People. Try and disprove. Christ. And everything about the gospel. And one of the things that they say is Jesus was a good man, but he died. He's dead. You know why you can't tell me and expect me to believe that Jesus is still dead? Because his spirit lives within me. And his spirit of my, it meshes with my spirit to let me know that he is alive Amen. and that I am his. And the same should be said of each person here if you are a child of God. So one of the benefit, another benefit of being saved is that the spirit of Christ dwells in you. But not only that, though, verse number seven, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I said it earlier, we're joint heirs with Jesus in Romans chapter eight. Verse number 17, Paul writes, Verse number 16, I'll begin with it. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. That's what I was talking about a minute ago. That we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. We're joint heirs with him, but here's the kicker. We're under grace. We're not under the law. No law, no more do we have to, to strive to, to earn favor with God because that can never happen. Salvation is bestowed upon man by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Verses 8 through 11 tell us, though, of an obligation that we now have. Verse number 8, he says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. Speaking of their religion, their religiosity that they were uh, adapted to. They were serving their religion. He says, but in verse number 9, But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God. Let me stop right there and say, there's a lot of people in the world that know who God is. There's a lot of people in the world. Listen, we live in South Mississippi. We're in the Bible Belt of the United States. Man, you can't walk uh, across the street and somebody not know who Jesus Christ is. But you know what? It doesn't matter if they know who Jesus Christ is. What they need to understand is it matters if God knows them. You say, don't God know everybody? God is all-knowing and all-perfect. And yes, He is. But what speaks of a knowing God? It speaks of an intimate relationship. In Matthew 7, 23, Jesus says, uh, There's many that will come before me and, and say, uh, Do we not prophesy in thy name and in, many, uh, and, and in your name cast out demons? You know what he says to them? He says, I'll look and I'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You mean to tell me Jesus didn't know who they were? No, he knew who they were. But he didn't have a relationship with them. Paul is writing. He says, now after you have known God, or rather are known of God. In other words, he's saying, after you've had this relationship with God now, he says, how can you turn again? To the weak and beggarly elements. How can you turn again now to that religion? To think that you can merit your favor with God. How can you turn again? He says, whereunto you desire to be in bondage. In other words, the law, religion is bondage. It's slavery. He says, you don't want to be involved in that. You want to be under grace. You see, the obligation now is that we have a faith. We have to be faithful to God. We have to be faithful in, in testing what is said and what is preached by the Scriptures. That's what got them in trouble with the legalists. Paul came through the inspiration of God preaching the true gospel. These other people came in preaching something contrary, and it led them astray. Why? Because they got away from the teachings of Paul. They got away from the teachings of the Word of God, and they were led astray. Paul says, you've got to be faithful. He says, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. In other words, he came, he came and he, he preached and he worked and he taught. He says, he's asking this question now. He says, was it all for nothing? They were returning 
to the old man-made religion. Because in their mind, when they got away from the Word of God, in their mind, all of it made sense. Well, yeah, I must have to earn merit with God. I must have to do something good to merit salvation. And Paul writes to him and he says, that's not the way it is. No wonder Paul is so passionate about these people coming in and taking over and terrorizing the flock of God. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right unto man. It might seem right and it might make sense that you must earn favor with God. But the rest of Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. For if they would to have been led astray and stayed this way would have been a proof that their profession of faith was in vain. Paul writes, he says, don't let my labor be among you in vain. Don't let it be for nothing. In other words, he's saying, return. Get away from the legalism. Get away from the religion. And come back to God in faith and say, I can't merit favor with you. You've done it all. There's no way that we can add to the cross of Jesus Christ. For anything you add to the cross corrupts it. And you cannot be saved by a corrupted gospel. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We can't add anything to the cross. We can't add anything to the gospel. For in doing so would make Christ's death and the gospel of no effect. How are we saved? Are you saved by your good deeds, by your baptism, by... Taking communion? No. Those things are good, but they don't save you. What saves you is the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's not about anything we've done or can do, but it's about everything that Jesus Christ did on the cross. The benefits of it, you become a son or a daughter of God. You receive the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within you that tells you if you're His. And if you don't have that confirmation, would you get that right this morning, that you are a child of God? You receive an inheritance that's incorruptible. And then you receive an obligation to be faithful to God as he is faithful to us. So we stand to our feet now for our final hymn of invitation. However the Lord's dealt with you or is dealing with you, let him have his way. Pray with me. Thank you for joining us for our broadcast. I hope you'll join us again next time with Rick Clark Ministries.